Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. I got some laundry here. So if anybody's up for doing some laundry, I didn't have time. I had to rush in here this morning. But what these are, though, these are my T-shirts. These are literally mine. This one's my wife's. It's a little bit smaller. But these are mine. And so uh, this one was from uh, 2014. There's dates on the front, so I get to cheat. But this one's from 2014. And you see, I I took over this football team as their head coach in, in 2013, and uh, I was coming back from a retreat with some other pastors and administrators. It was a Christian school. And some pastors and administrators, we were about six hours away at a retreat. Our whole entire leadership community and staff was there. And we were about an hour from, uh, from the school and the church, uh, which meant that I was about an hour and a half away from football practice as I was uh, an assistant coach there. And uh, all of a sudden, all of our phones and all of our cars start going off. And uh, boom, I mean, it's just blowing up. We're all carpooling together and every phone starts going off. And so we quickly began to receive texts and voicemail messages and actual talking to people that um, our head football coach, Larry Schimmel, had a a massive aneurysm in his classroom and died. Just just, um, died right in front of his students. And uh, he was so dear to all of our hearts. This was a man who lived out loud and bold for Jesus. He was a man who was on scholarship to the University of Hawaii for football, but he gave it up because, you see, he was at a junior college when he received that scholarship, and just about a month after he received that scholarship and he'd have to report to that school to continue playing, he received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and he was all out. He was like, oh, I'm in. I don't need football anymore. Football is not, no way. I have got to let Modesto, California know about this Jesus that I just met. You see, Billy Graham had come through on a crusade, and he went, some of his friends on the football team invited him to this thing, and he heard about who Jesus was, and they began to pour into his life. And he said, that's it. This is going to be my whole life. My whole life is going to be declaring the message of Jesus Christ. He changed majors, became a school teacher, and he goes, I'm going to use football, and I'm going to be in high schools, and I'm going to teach everybody about Jesus because they need to know what I didn't know. And he began to be infectious. And for the next 30-plus years, he would spend his life in high schools, coaching football, and teaching people about Jesus. This man was never one to say, he didn't care. If you hired him, you just had to understand that he was going to tell people about Jesus. And every school that hired him in that city was absolutely okay with that. He was a man who had his Bible uh, recovered with this uh, covering, this leather covering that looked like a football. It was crazy. It actually had like football skin on it. And then it had on the, on the binding, it had a, uh, um, um, a st- like laces. And he carried that on the sidelines. So he had his play card so he could call the plays. And in this hand, he had the Bible. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, you always go to battle with the word of God. I'm like, it's football, coach. Football. He goes, I stand for Christ first and foremost before I stand for anyone. And if there's nothing greater I can teach these kids, I need to let them know that I will stand for Christ first and foremost before I stand for anything. I'm like, wow. Okay. Let me just sit back, pastor man here, and take some lessons because I need to learn from you. 
And so right after those calls started coming in, uh, we received another call. There were a few cars ahead of us, and it was the superintendent of the school and the pastor of the church, and they were in the same car together. And he said, hey, did you just get that message? I said, yeah, we all got it. And I go, we're heading there right now. I'll be with the boys in about 45 minutes, and we'll start working through what this all means. He goes, you're the new head coach. I was like, no, I'm not. That's ridiculous. And he goes, you're the new head coach. Lead these boys. Help them. Show them Jesus. Okay. So I gathered up these boys who were just heartbroken. I gathered up these boys who had, many of them never experienced death in their life before. And we began to talk. And we began to share. And we made it through that season. And it was a tough one, there's no doubt. We made it through and different things happened. And it came on to the next season. And I began to look at these guys and I'm like, oh, you guys got to do some learning. We got to do some learning. You're, you don't... They don't work hard. You don't, they, they didn't. They didn't work hard. They didn't care about one another. They didn't do things. So we came up with this first expression, and it was never outworked. And I said, I got to teach you how to be a man. And um, yeah, Coach Shim will teach you all about loving Jesus. And now I'm going to teach you to be a man who loves Jesus. And I said, listen, there's never going to be a man that's going to work harder than you. If you're standing next to two men, you're going to be the hardest working man. I want your wife someday and your children someday to look at you and say, nobody will outwork my dad. Nobody's going to outwork my husband. Nobody's going to care more about what needs to be done in our lives. And so you can, you can count on the fact that I'll never be outworked. And we began to talk about what that meant on a football field and what that would mean to be a part of Team Big Valley Grace. And, and we talked about what that would look like. And we talked about what that would mean in their life. And we also were able to, make the transla- to, the, to draw the line that we don't work to be loved by Jesus. We work because we are loved by Jesus. We don't work to be saved by Jesus. We work in our faith and we work for the Lord and we work in people's lives because we are saved and because we are loved and because we are given life and we're given this amazing opportunity to go do the work of the kingdom so nobody works harder than we do. Right, boys? And that's the first lesson we taught. And we got through that and I started to have some pretty amazing, hardworking guys that I hadn't seen before, but they were selfish. They were just selfish individuals. And I'm like, you look a lot like me. I'm a pretty selfish person too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to teach you that everybody's going to be able to count on you. We're going to teach you that the person next to you is greater than you are. We're going to teach in this team that the one next to you, you're going to have to lay your life down for. We're going to teach you that if you're really going to walk in the footsteps of your Jesus, then you're going to lay your life down the way he laid his life down for you. And so I want you to let everybody on your team know, you're going to let the brothers next to you know that not only will you be the hardest working person they ever met, but that they can count on you through thick and thin, that you will always, always be by their side, no matter what we have to go through. And then I gathered our, our, uh, our captains, and I said, now listen to me, son. I go, you five are going to be what's exemplified here. Nobody will lay their life down before you lay your life down. Nobody will be greater here until you're less. Everybody on this team is greater than you are. When our team gets disciplined, you will be the first one out there. When someone on the team does something wrong, you will be disciplined for them. And they said, what? We began to walk through that looks like. I said, a leader has to be counted on. A man has to be counted on. And you, my friend, will be counted on. Because you count on Jesus, which means the men around you can count on you. And we began to teach what that looked like. And that year, they went through some more adversity. 
They went through some more different trials and different things, and they learned that they could count on one another. And they made it further in their championship than any other team had ever made it. They went to the finals. They lost, but they went to the finals. And what I realized when they lost is they lost to the team twice in the same year. They just got it handed to them. There's a little bit of adversity as their star player two days before this championship game that this school had never made it that far broke his leg. And they went out there after having in just two days to switch around some players. And they went out there and I saw in their faces they had no belief at all that they could win. Because their championship player, their, their David or maybe their Goliath or whatever it was, he was knocked down, he was out. And I'm like, is that the end of your dream? Is the end of your dream, is the furthest your vision will take you is the, the best player on your team? No. To work harder than everybody else and to be counted on means that your relationship with God will take you further than everybody else. That you're going to be so focused on your relationship with God that whatever he puts before you, you will believe that in his power you can accomplish. And all we're doing is just going back and forth and trying to use real moments to, to talk about our faith and what that's going to look like as we live out as men. And I said, this year you're going to do something really different, boys. You're going to aim higher than any other team has ever aimed. You're going to reach higher than any other team has ever reached. You're going to reach higher than your wildest imaginations. And I said, what would be higher than where we got to last year? They're like, well, winning the game. I said, you got it. That'd be reaching higher. I go, what else? He goes, well, we should be state champions. I go, that's great. We should have the MVP of the league. I go, that's awesome. And they started listening to all these things. We're like, great, reach higher. And I go, what should our faith look like? And we began to talk about what our faith would look like in the context of their school and their friends and in their church. What would the faith of a man who reached higher into the toolbox of Jesus Christ, what would their faith look like? We began to teach these lessons. And that year, the very last game, we faced a team that literally destroyed us the year before. And they had destroyed everybody that year. They hadn't lost a game in over two years. They had the nation's longest shutout streak of any high school in the nation. And we faced them. And it was our last game. And I saw these boys do something that I couldn't believe with my own eyes. They fought a fight that I couldn't believe they fought. All my seniors were on the field. They were all playing. Some were playing different positions they hadn't played before. And we were on the brink of beating this team. I had called three or four different plays throughout the whole game. We just literally kept running the same thing. An average running back would run a, a big game for a running back would be 30 30 carries, that'd be a big game. If you actually hit 40 carries, that was an outrageous game. Our running back was pushing 60 carries in that game. He had already went over 320 yards. And we were doing our best to stay alive and stay ahead of the game. We got down to the, to the five-yard line, and we were going to go in for another score, we hoped. They were stopping us. They couldn't stop us. Now they were stopping us. We're like, ah. So I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw a pass out into the flat. So those of you who don't know, football a whole lot. We're going to throw it into the corner of the end zone. We hadn't thrown the ball hardly at all this game, and so that would be perfect. They wouldn't be expecting it. I sent in the play, and all of a sudden, my seniors, the seniors on this team, raised up, looked over to the sidelines. The quarterback stepped out of the huddle, and he shook his head at me. I was like, the other coaches go, I think he's calling the playoff. 
don't call a playoff. I'm the coach. I just told you what play to run. And he looked at me, and they all shook their head. And then my senior lineman stepped out of the huddle, and they shook their head at me. And I said, oh, I see. I see, young men. Nobody's going to work harder than you. And you're telling me and your team and these stands that we can count on you right now and that you have something that you're reaching higher for. I just simply nodded my head yes back to him. And they called a play that I would not have called. And they ran that ball for five yards into the end zone and won a game with a team they hadn't beaten the whole time they'd been at that school. And it was one of the sweetest victories they had ever, ever had in their life. And you're like, what does all this have to do with the word of God? Would you join me for a minute? Would you join me as we read from, Matthew, from Mark chapter 3? starting in verse 13. I'm sorry, it's verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to a lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomi, and the regions across the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. Because, the crowd, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him. He kept the people, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed so many that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Listen, the Son of Man, the living God, did not need a demon or Satan or the enemy to declare who he was. He was exhibiting his power. He was exhibiting his authority. He was exhibiting the truth of who he was, that he was the living God. He did not need the demons to declare for him. So he told them to shut up because he had the power to do that. Jesus went on. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they might send, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To, to, uh, to them, he gave the name Boanges, <laughs> which means sons of thunder. Come on, who doesn't want that name? Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. As we keep going. Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Belzebul, the prince. We would know that name more uh, as Beelzebub, okay? By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. 
In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemies the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And they are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying that he was an impure spirit. Then Jesus, his mother, and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at all those seated in the circle around him, which were his disciples. And here, my mother and brothers, whoever does the will, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's look real quickly at these passages today. The very first thing I want you to see in this is to follow Jesus. To be on team Jesus is literally to follow Jesus. There were those who came and looked. There were those who came and wanted to be healed. There were those who came and wanted the power of Jesus. They showed up and they came and they came from all over. And they got what they wanted and they left. That's not what it means to be on team Jesus. To be on team Jesus, to receive the salvation, the gift of mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven and to be called sons and daughters means that you are on team Jesus. And it means that you follow him. And you follow him wherever he asks you to go. We see these 12 men being called into a different type of relationship. Every, there was disciples all around him, many of them. Uh, some scholars think there could have been anywhere from five to 10,000 different ones who, who were potential disciples of him. And then he calls out these 12 for a special calling. Look, they didn't answer that call that day. You need to hear that and understand that. That wasn't the moment they answered the call. He didn't call them out and said, hey guys, I got this assignment. I wondered if you wanted to do it. And uh, let me tell you what's going to happen. Each of you are going to be martyred, and, and, and you're all going to have this really difficult time, and people are going to be against you. You're going to lose everything you have, and yet at the same time, you're going to turn the world upside down, and people are going to follow me. You wouldn't dream of it. Peter, by the way, you're going to open your mouth, and 3,000 people are going to speak. When I open my mouth, people run away. Imagine that. Interesting, isn't it? But that's what's going to happen to you, Peter, and, but then you're also going to be killed for your faith and lose everything you have. What do you say? Are you in, gentlemen? No, when they said yes to Jesus, when they said yes to being his disciple and starting to learn to be his apprentice and they learned the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, they were always being prepared for whatever Jesus would call them to do, to follow him in all of his ways, to follow him in any job, responsibility, anything they gave him to do, he gave them to do. And in this moment, he was calling them to be the 12 apostles. Apostles means sent out ones. They were going to be sent out they were going to be his ambassadors. They were going to take his message into the rest of the world. And the church of Jesus Christ would be born through them. They were going to be the leaders teaching and training other disciples to do the same thing, to be sent out. Yes, that's us, all the way to us. They were going to be the disciples that would teach and train others to follow Jesus, constantly building up new disciples and new disciples and new disciples as it would lead to us. We are that today as well. And while we're all called to share our faith, some will have that special and unique call to go somewhere else, like Lisa. We're all called to share our faith in our everyday conversations and our everyday moments. And somebody like Lisa was called to go to Argentina and to be sent out into a very unique and special place, to be the ambassador of Jesus somewhere else. You see, you're like, I could never be a disciple. He already called you to be his disciple if you're one of his. You're like, well, I could never be an apostle. 
You know, one of the ones that kind of go lead and do it. He's already called you to do whatever he will ask you to do. He's already equipping you to do whatever he will want you to do. He is always already preparing you to do with whatever he will ask you to do. When you say yes to receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you are saying yes to following him wherever he asks you to go. To be on team Jesus means that when he says go, you say I will. When he says now, you said I'm on my way. When he says this is how you'll do it, you say I can't wait to get there. That's literally what it means to be on team Jesus is that we follow him wherever he asks us to go. And you say, well, I'm nothing special. <laughs> That's good, because either we're the 12 he called. Matter of fact, there were a bunch of misfits and mess ups and they'd already been rejected by other rabbis and it would have been a laughable thing that he called them to be his apostles. And yet they changed the world because Christ exhibited his transforming power and changed them. He's doing that with you. Are you ready to say yes to wherever he has you to go? Are you ready to say yes to whatever he has you to do? Are you ready to say yes to being his ambassador in the midst of people's lives? Because to be on team Jesus means that you will follow Jesus wherever he asks you to go. Every person will have to make a decision whether he is a lunatic, a liar, or a lord. That was coined by C.S. Lewis as he was working through his faith and he was working through what it meant to, to look at Jesus. But it came from this passage right here where his family showed up and said, ah, he's crazy, right? His family shows up to the house and go, he's, he's, he's not, he's crazy. Look at him, he doesn't even have, he doesn't even eating. He's, he's, he's being mugged by people. He's having to stand in a boat and oh, we just need to take him home. This idea, he's gonna be, he's gonna get himself killed. Look at all these religious people that showed up to try to make a plan to kill him. We've come here, it literally means to seize him, to take control of Jesus' life. His family showed up to bring him back and let's get him where he needs to be because he's lost his mind. Who lives this way? <laughs> Jesus is like, um, hello, I'm not a lunatic. Can a lunatic, a fraud, somebody who just thinks that they're the Messiah, can they heal people? Can they cause the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear? Can they stop the oceans from rising? Can they stop the wind from blowing? Can they raise the dead to life? I know exactly who I am. I'm the Messiah. Who do you say he is? You see, he can't be just a good moral teacher. That's what many will say he is. Because if you're a lunatic, then he can't just be a moral teacher because a good moral teacher is, those two don't go together. And a good moral teacher, is he a liar? Because many would say he's a liar. Because he claimed to be God. Look, he's not God. He's, a, he's just a good moral teacher. He's a good guy. Well, then he's a liar, and a liar is not a good guy. A liar is not a good moral teacher. It doesn't fit. The two don't go together. Is he a liar? And here he is saying, I am not. So again, you're either for God or against God. All of scripture says that you're for God or against God. And the, the religious leaders show up and say, ah, he's doing this in the name of Satan. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm doing it in the name of Satan. I am driving Satan out of people. I am driving the demons out of people. Look, I tell them to shut their mouth and they shut up. 
I tell them to leave and they leave. I tell them to go and they go. I command the spirits, the evil spirits of this world. They're like, yeah, because you're from Satan. I destroy them. And then he went through that dialogue, right, that we just read. A house divided. How could I be from Satan and yet destroy Satan? How could I be from Satan and yet win over Satan? How could I be under his authority when in fact I exhibit my authority and he runs? How is it that I could be of him when I rule over him? I'm not a liar. I am the living God who has authority over all things. So then you're only left with one choice. If he's not just a good moral teacher because he claimed to be all these other things, which if he wasn't, then he's not a good teacher. He's not just a good man because he claimed to be all these other things. And so what are you left with? You're left with the declaration of scripture. You either say he's Lord or you don't. You either say he's God or he's not. And when it gets to that passage that sometimes we get confused with of what is the only unforgivable sin, and that's the one that's the sin against the Holy Spirit, it's to attribute the truth of who God is and say, no, that's really Satan. It's to take God and say, no, he's not really God. I don't believe in God. I am God or These acts are just random chances or whatever it would be. It's to fully deny God with your life. Now we have evidence in scripture of people who denied God at one time who came to him and had a greater understanding and surrendered their life. When you fully deny and harden your heart and want nothing to do with God all the days of your life and your life comes to an end, you have denied God the very existence. And there is no forgiveness for that you will be held accountable to that. What does it mean to be held accountable to that? You will literally receive what you wanted. You did not believe there was a God, so you will not be with God throughout eternity. You did not believe there was a God, so that you did not have God in your life while you lived and existed. So you will be cast away from the living God because you did not believe in the living God, which makes that sin, that sin of denial, that sin of rejection, that sin of attributing things of God to things of Satan, it makes it an unforgivable sin because there's only forgiveness available this side of eternity. That side of eternity continues what you desired on this side of eternity. We don't have to be fearful of it. We don't have to be scared of it. We don't have to be anything. But each one of us is left with a question. Lunatic, liar, or Lord? And if he is Lord, then you are immediately ushered into team Jesus. And you, right, you believe. We've talked about this. You repent. You turn from your way of thinking and your way of living. Right? And then what? You surrender and begin to follow Jesus wherever he asks you to go. You follow him. Team Jesus is what it means. And finally this. Family matters. Jesus was not being, wasn't being funny, wasn't being mean, he wasn't denying his family, he wasn't seeking not to love them, nor was he teaching that we shouldn't love our biological family. He was simply saying this, for those who are on team Jesus, there's a priority. And the priority is that you have been birthed into a new family. You are the sons and daughters of the living God and the family of believers is now your priority. Those who do the will of God are now your priority. We're to love all people. 
We are still supposed to love our mothers and our fathers and our brothers and our sisters. But the priority is whatever God has you doing. The priority is wherever the Lord has you at. The priority is the family of believers. The priority is he has knit you together with one another, that we are to belong to one another, pouring into one another's lives, lifting one another up, helping one another. It means we are supposed to give our lives to Christ and then give our lives to one another. It is the call of Scripture that we are to be about, that family matters. We act sometimes as if our church family doesn't matter. We act sometimes as if the body of Christ isn't nearly as important as everything else in our life. And Jesus is saying, the body of Christ is a priority. Those who do the will of God are a priority for us to be involved in their life. We're to love everybody. We're to encourage people. We're to help people. But when it comes to priority, those who follow Christ are supposed to have a priority in our life. We join with them. We unite with them. We help them. We encourage them. And we lift them up. And for goodness sake, church, we can count on one another. We can count on one another. Of all the places, around the corners of the world, that the, the phrase, you can count on me, should be proclaimed. It's in the church among other believers. You can count on me because I count on Christ. You can count on me. I will work on your behalf. I will serve on your behalf. And I will reach higher in my walk with Christ so that you can have a stronger walk as well. You can count on me. Family of God. Team Jesus. We've got to be able to depend on each other as we depend on Christ. And when the Lord says go, we go. And we follow him wherever he wants. And the rest of the body rallies around that person and helps them to get where they need to go. Her name is Isabel Mayer. And if you don't know her, it's time you meet her. She works on our staff and she's the director at Tree of Life for Leesburg. Two years ago, that was not her life. Two years ago, she was in the executive part of Wegmans Grocers, or whatever it's called. She had been there for over 20 years doing her life, making a career for herself. And the Lord grabbed her and said, you're going to be about something else from now on, my, my daughter. I want you helping people in some of the most difficult parts of their life. I want you to be somewhere else declaring the gospel where people are hurting. And so she left her career. She left her livelihood. She left everything not knowing what was going to happen next. And so today, she puts together several different ministries. Today, she works part-time at our church, and she works part-time with Tree of Life as we give to Tree of Life to help support her. And she is pouring into people's lives all over the place. And you know what? Jesus said, go, and she said, yes. And the church rallies around her and says, you can count on me. Because the Lord has said to you, 
go. It's not always to Argentina. Sometimes it's to your own backyard. And the church should be able to lift you up and help you get to where you have to go that the Lord has asked you to be, where the Lord has asked you to be. Right? So bring it all back around. Team Jesus, we count on Jesus. We go where he tells us to go. We understand that our family matters and we are, they are a priority in our lives. So when you hear somebody say, Jeff, when he tells you to go, your church is with you. You got it? Brian, your church will be with you when he tells you to go. Wherever that is, whatever the hard thing is, you can count on us. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are, for bringing us together, for your great word. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Go and be the church. Have fun being on Team Jesus this week.